Welcome back to another episode of the B2B Founder Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Trainer. Today's episode will be a little bit different. Instead of hearing from a founder that has successfully grown beyond 10 million revenue, we chat with one that is in the middle of her journey. Eric Bischoff, who is the CEO and founder of Social Campfire, stops by the podcast today. Her startup is in the process of transitioning from being founder-led to a scale-up. She shares with us what's worked with her, how she was able to secure her first round of funding, the key lessons that she's learned so far, and what's next. We also talk about some different ideas for her business as well. I think you will find a lot of value hearing from a founder who's in process and what's top of mind right now. At the end of this episode, make sure you visit our website where you can find the show notes plus the links mentioned with Erica. If you enjoy this episode, please, please, please make sure you subscribe so you're always the first to know when the new episode is released. Now, let's get the conversation started. Good morning, Erica. Welcome to the podcast. Well, thanks, Brett. Good morning. Uh, it's great to have you here. And before we get started or to get us started, why don't you share with the audience a little bit about your background and uh, your current company? Sure. So I'm the founder and CEO of Campfire Social. Prior to that, I spent over 20 years as a market researcher and strategist working for companies such as Kraft, Nestle, Kimberly Clark, and Miller Coors. I eventually went off on my own and through happenstance started working with trade and professional associations. So I worked with um, board of directors as well as C-suite members of various associations working on strategic planning efforts as well as optimizing trade shows. Through that and gaining additional insight, I developed what's now Campfire Social. Yeah, so why don't we dig into a little bit what is Campfire Social and why did you start it? Sure. Great questions. <laughs> so Campfire Social, it's a social network and e-commerce platform designed for trade and professional associations. Throughout my experience, I noticed two very pervasive themes with this particular group. One is the need for relevance. So it's not just relevance amongst their current stakeholders, which includes members and includes sponsors and vendors and sometimes staff and faculty, but it's also relevance with future generations and future members. The millennials don't view trade shows the way more veteran attendees typically do, and they're looking right. for more meaningful ways. Now, for the second theme, which is diversification of revenue, this is something that's been outstanding even before COVID. So although the COVID landscape has made Campfire Social even more valuable, Campfire Social was not designed with COVID in mind. Interesting. So when we look at how most trade and professional associations work, they put about, it could be anywhere upwards of 60, 70, 80% of their financial risk into one main trade event. Wow. It's risky. Now, many of them have some ways to diversify their revenue, which could be things such as real estate, micro events, and then dues-based revenue opportunities, or, or even learning options that they charge for. But the real meat comes from these trade shows. And this is something that I've been talking to associations for for years, which is you've got to come up with another way to diversify your revenue stream. COVID hit. And trade shows stopped happening. And all of that revenue disappeared in the blink of an eye. 
And although most organizations did a wonderful job just taking their live event and putting it on a virtual platform, what they quickly realized is one, they can't charge the same amounts that they charged before for a live event. And two, a lot of the the revenue comes from the sponsoring vendors who pay a lot for space on the trade show floor. In the virtual event landscape, it's very hard for vendors to get ROI because as you were We're at our computers all day long. When people see that there's a virtual trade event, they attend for a particular piece of content and then they walk away to either work or take care of their family, teach their kids. A lot's happening at home and and people aren't going to the virtual exhibitor hall in the same way that they would if they're at a dedicated live event. The other thing is it's really hard in a virtual world to spend one, two, three days and forge relationships with people. It can happen on a trade show floor because you're meeting face-to-face. You can go get coffee. You can really network, see who you know, share content and ideas. But in the virtual landscape, it's very hard. So these organizations needed a a different way to be able to monetize these virtual events, to be able to take in the revenue that they need to keep the lights on. Yeah, I'm going, be, I'm going to stop you just real quick because I think I don't want to assume for the audience sake that everybody knows what a trade association is. I've been around a long time, so no. So maybe before you dig into that a little bit, just you know, what's a couple of trade associations that everybody would know and what is kind of the purpose of them, if you will, right? So at a high, high level. <laughs> sure, sure. So the trade and professional association landscape is is quite big and it's these groups that advocate for a particular industry. Some examples that audience members might be familiar with would be like the American Bar Association, the American Medical Association. There's smaller organizations that focus on you know, the audiovisual space. It could be drones. Super niche, right? So they can go, okay. Yeah, Comic-Con. And then there's trade show organizers that take some kind of industry topic and they put on trade events that surround it. So they're not necessarily a year-round engagement, but there's financial trade events that aren't necessarily tied to a trade association, but there's events that are specifically designed to bring all of these industry experts together to share share their thought leadership and connect with one another. Got it. Okay. So that's really interesting in the sense. So basically what you're trying to do, if I can paraphrase and keep it simple, is kind of modernize the trade association, right? That you saw the value and what was there, but how they were connecting with members or potential new members is outdated. Again, I know I'm being super simple, but is that a fair way to think about how you looked at that problem? It's Yes, absolutely. They needed modernization. And In order to be able to generate revenue and remain relevant, you've got to think about why people either attend a trade event or belong to a trade association. And in my mind, it's one of four things. Okay. It's connectivity, it's content, it's commerce, and it's in the political sphere of just being able to be the voice on Capitol Hill for the industry. You can find a C for that one. (laughs) Right, 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 the three right. C's plus advocacy, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's not really like a C for that, but not because it doesn't have a C, but I'm yeah. not touching the advocacy part of it because politics is not my background. But right. what I do know quite well is how to tap into the connectivity, the content and commerce 
which works quite well on a trade show floor. It works well when an association brings people together. But to date, there hasn't been a platform that truly digitizes that experience that happens at an association and makes it last 365 days of the year via an app or a desktop browser application until Campfire Social. Yeah, so that's a perfect segue into, and before, let me take a step back for the audience too, as they've been listening to the show for for a while, I think as of this recording, we're now over 104, which gives us two solid years. But but typically my interviews are with the founders that have crossed that, went from startup to scale up, crossed that 10 million threshold and share kind of their growth strategies, learnings, what I wouldn't do again, et cetera. But in your case, you're starting, you're in, I wouldn't say you're starting your journey, but in the earlier stages of this journey, you've raised some funds. And so I thought it'd be really interesting to get your perspective and some other founders that are in the middle of it right now, right? It's all great to hear the success stories, but that's a little context of, of why you're here. And I think understanding what you've built is important and the problem that you're trying to solve for, but you still haven't, you saw where the problem was. Is it just something you weren't seeing anybody addressing or was there something, what made you go from, Hey, this is a problem to, Hey, I can solve this problem. Yeah. So actually one thing I did leave off in my background is that this is my second tech company that I've started. Okay. The first was actually in the pet space. And what I've done with the, with the pet, it's called pet gotcha day. And that it's been converted to a nonprofit, it runs itself. But what I had done is I had created this concept of a market network approach to bring your vets, your trainers, your shelters, your volunteers, your adopters, your manufacturers all together into one platform to be able to connect together and be able to make pet, the pet ownership process more seamless and be able to share contacts, like have your vet talk to the trainer all on one platform. And so I had this working on the side. And then as I started hearing about these consistent themes that were happening in the association space, it, it occurred to me, why am I limiting this concept to pet? This would actually solve the problems in the association space. And that's what actually prompted me to stop what I was doing as a strategist and pursue Campfire Social full-time. How long ago was that? How long have you been full-time now? We officially started in early September. Okay. So still relatively new. We're we're early. We've grown fast. So as you mentioned, we raised quite a bit of, of funds in February. We've got customers and we had our official launch of the product in March. Awesome. Congrats. Um, Thank you. I've got a very nimble team. They develop fast. <laughs> Which is important in this day and age, right? I mean, because the technology is evolving quickly and right, it's... It is. And the, and the truth is our customers can't wait. I'm not a, a technician per se. I'm a strategist. And when I think about why I brought Campfire Social to the space, it's because I know that my customer or that these associations and my customers need this tool to survive. Trade shows aren't coming back the way that they used to. There's a lot of talk about a hybrid approach where you have your in-person overlaid with a virtual event, but that's not enough. Actually, what they need, and I I like to speak a lot on this, is this whole notion of an omni-channel approach, which is what you hear about a lot in the consumer packaged good world, which is reaching your target audience where they're at all the time. What Campfire Social does is it helps to augment the great work that's being done with the live and virtual events 
but allow this omni-channel approach to take place. So these organizations can remain relevant all the time, continue to make money and further support their efforts right now with the live and virtual events, which is really important. And I couldn't wait. So Campfire Social right now, it's a very strong V1. We have an 18-month innovation roadmap in place right now. We've committed to investing quite a bit of money against it to get the product to exactly where we want to be as fast as possible. And I weighed the options. It's, do we hold off for a year, 18 months to get the perfect product? Or do we get out our very strong V1 so these organizations stand a chance to start diversifying their revenue stream and start attracting and maintaining their their meeting member base today and have them grow with us. And I opted for that grow with us approach and the organizations and associations appreciate that as well. Yeah, I think that's so smart. And a former colleague, I'll give him a shout out, Calvin Chang. He used to tell me all the time, Brett, done is better than perfect. So (laughs) get it out there, learn, adapt. And and I'm just curious from the early days, you had the concept, right? And if you're not a tech, because I'm not a techie person, I get it, tech enabled, I'm all about services. So how did you go from, hey, I got this idea, what I built with the, the pet business to transition. What were some of those early days like as you were starting to ramp this up? And what were some of the things you were, some of your first priorities, let's put it that way, as you got started? My first priority was getting a very strong development team in place. The thing is, I consider myself a visionary and an executor. So I can have these moments where I come up with this elaborate schema. In fact, the initial version that I drew out for the pet space I mean, I, I actually, I'm getting it framed. It's hanging on my giant whiteboard that I have in my living room right now. But, you know, I can take that and see exactly how to execute, but I'm not a tech developer. Right. I had to get a strong team in place and get enough smart people that can not only help build the product, but help it to scale. So getting the tech team in place was first priority. And the second was surrounding myself with smart people. Always yeah. <laughs> I'm a big believer in mentors. And uh, to give you a shout out, I'm a big fan of mentor musings. I think your your top picks are great. And it's, it's important to surround yourself with a variety of people that can help you formulate your thoughts and guide you in the right way. So because there's only so much time that you have, right? right. So you've got to learn what decisions not to make faster so you can focus on the decisions you need to make. Yeah, no, 100% and agree. And you know, part of that I you know, discovered that later in life, the ability to, but, you know, one of the things with this podcast, right, I had, you know, I was in this space for 30 years, B2B specifically, thought, you know, I had all the answers, I've seen everything, I know it, but man, having folks like you, and then authors and other founders, it's just opened my eyes to say, man, there is more than one way to do certain things, and it's, and it's changing, and it's, it's moving quickly, so. Right. 100% 100% appreciate that. So I'm going to put you back on the spot in the early days because, you know, again, you'll see me super simple, right? So you, you identified what the problem was. Right. And this one seems like it was pretty obvious. You know, there was real pain points just based on the pandemic and some other things that these trade right. associations were in trouble. So maybe you didn't have to go do the full market analysis, right? That said, hey, this is a need to solve problem versus a nice to solve problem. So is that is that a safe assumption that just based on one, your experience and two, where we were at, that you knew the problem was real? That was it. It was the deep domain expertise that helped me to skip that step 
I would never tell a founder to skip that step right. unless they knew. But I had spoken to dozens of trade organizations. And then even in the early days when I started the development work, I made it my goal to talk to as many associations and trade organizers and corporates as I could. But also I spoke to vendors, members, people that have thought about joining associations but haven't as to why. And I conducted my research as I went to make sure that we were building with the end customer in mind. And really the end customer isn't the association, it's their stakeholders. Because if those stakeholders don't buy in, the association won't win. And the whole idea is to make sure that the association is relevant and diversifies their revenue. Yeah, no, that's that's so good. And I do want to get into some of the, the challenge you're facing or what you think are next, but curious from, you know, the early stage, getting those first customers, right? Because you said there's a thousand things going on and you had to get one buy-in from these these trade associations mm-hmm. in the sense of, you, oh, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it, it, are you approaching this different than the way they've thought about it in the past? And what, yes. I, what I'm trying to say is this is how Campfire Social is going to solve this problem. Was there an immediate, aha, I get it, or, oh, that'll never work because that's not the way we've always done it. Just kind of curious what the initial conversations were like. That's a, that's a true hybrid answer because oftentimes many people in the organization, they get it right away. It's a completely different philosophical approach. The way many organizations have currently worked is it's it's very siloed. You've got your community people here. You've got your content people. You've got your vendor relations people here. And there hasn't necessarily been a need to bring them all together tight because it's worked. You know, we can talk about competition in a moment, but I mean, there's a myriad of community platforms. Right. But I didn't build Campfire Social as a community platform. We're taking a market network approach to truly integrate the content, the connectivity, and the commerce in a way that's never been done before. So when organizations hear about this approach, they get it. And they're like, wow, we've never thought about it like this before. But then the challenge comes in, well, we're not set up like that. So how do we as an organization start knocking down some of these silos to bring this all together to make this work? And then I put my strategy hat back on and say, okay, well, let's look at this from a strategist point of view. It works on a trade show floor, right? You invite everybody to a trade show. You've got your people on the expo floor, your vendors. Your vendors are sharing content and leading sessions. Your members are connecting with other people, also vendors. So why can't we create a digitized approach of this and make that work too? And then the light bulbs go off and they're like, okay, that's right. There just hasn't been a tool to do that today. And that's when I go into how Campfire Social will work. Yeah, I love that because I think differentiation is so important. Obviously, you're much closer to this than I am because is the early part of the conversation. I'm thinking, oh, that's community. There's a bunch of community tools. But when you say the integration, you're right. The trade shows are different in the sense it is about community, but there's other value drivers within what they're doing. It's, it's so much more, and the existing community platforms out there today are just antiquated. There's been no innovation in the space, and they don't address truly the need of connectivity. Most community platforms today focus on content, but they're not as concerned about the profile of the person. And in modern social media, it's all about kind of just keeping track of your own thought leadership and attaching it to you as a person, right? It's all about your personal brand. 
if you don't have your content connected to your profile, a lot of people won't participate because you're anonymous and it doesn't count. But yeah. and and that's and that's a problem with some of the products that are out there today. Yeah, interesting. And you mentioned the thought leader and content and like the guest that's coming out. We've started recorded. Marty Sanchez talks about his his term that I'm stealing from him frequently and giving him full credit is okay. the rise of the inbound CEO or inbound founder, right? Mm -hmm. With your content, your thought leadership has to drive growth. I mean, I'm seeing example after example after example of this where that founder is setting the stage for the company and getting people excited because you, I can tell the passion when you try to solve this problem and grow it, which as you grow your staff and your team, you have to find people that will also be that founder. Right. So, so it's super interesting. Well, a little bit of right. a side note there, but I think it's important to realize that it's almost the cost of doing business this day, whether you like it or not, a team of one, team of two, it's gotta be about content and your passion for why you're solving the problem and how you're solving it. For sure. And I think one of the things that has made us successful early on, it's the fact that we have deep domain expertise. I'm not just talking about a platform. I'm talking about it from experience. And I know how it will work because I understand how, how associations and trade organizers actually work. And my staff are all, currently at least, formerly trade show people. They work for trade associations. And they understand as well. And I'm guessing they were bought into your mission, right? I mean, I think I used to be more of a hundred percent, not hundred percent, but, but, you know, execution over a good product and execute win, win, win. But now I've come 180 and believe the mission and the purpose, you don't have to be solving world hunger for it to be a mission, right. but just to improve somebody's life, some other businesses capability to improve. So right. you know, my, my team all came on board because in some form or fashion, they shared with me just organically how if this platform had been available when they were in their respective companies or organizations, they would have employed it. And here are the reasons why. I never asked them that question, but that came up. And by them being able to kind of just repeat it back in their own way and internalize it and translate it into how it would have made their jobs easier, told me that these are the right people for the company because they're going to be able to help translate what we're trying to do in our philosophical approach to other organizations. Yeah, it's awesome. I love that. All right. So now I want to put you back on this, this spot. Not really, but you know, you mentioned you were fundraising and early. What made you want to say, hey, we need to go raise some funds now. So what was kind of the impetus for you to start fundraising? And then let me know how that process went and if there's things that you would do differently or just kind of share yeah. your experience of the why and then then how it went. Right. So I was the first contributor to Campfire Social. It's not just blood, sweat, and tears. It's life savings. I ate a lot of peanut butter sandwiches. I still eat a lot of, a lot of peanut butter sandwiches. It's my savings. I quit my job to do this. So it's what I call negative income. I did financial projections. I had one lead customer. And I knew that at some point, the finances were going to get tight. And I didn't necessarily expect to raise when I did. I was looking into some bank loans and maybe some alternative lending structures, yeah. some friends and family. But the way that this all came about was through just pure happenstance of just talking about the product. And I oftentimes feel like I talk way too much about Campfire Social and I need to come up with some other things to talk about. 
But in this particular instance, I was speaking to a woman and I was telling her about Campfire Social. And I recall saying to her, I'm talking too much about this. Tell me more about you. And she said, I invest in tech companies and I'd like to hear more. And through that um, conversation, she introduced me to other investors who all became quite interested and we struck up a deal. It was, it was amazing. And there were a couple of other organizations that were interested in, in investing, but I particularly liked the group that I went with because they had deep domain expertise in terms of building, growing, and exiting a tech company. And I knew that the strategic advisory that would come from this investment, it was just smart. And um, my investor group, they've been amazing in terms of helping to provide you know, direction and even talking to our customers and potential customers. It's made quite the difference. So smart money is the kind of money that organizations should take for sure. Awesome. And did you use it for product to the platform development? The bulk is going into product development, but also staffing, marketing, a lot of the typical stuff. For us, a lot of it was branding because we are entering in a space that's extremely fraternal. Not a lot of innovation, but the same company name. So we've had to make a name for ourselves. So Branding strategically has been important because we needed to get in with very specific publications that cater to our core customer. You know, spending money on social media isn't what we needed to do. It was, you know, I had to do my homework to find the right organizations and the right ways to go about getting in front of CEOs of organizations. Yeah, branding is so critical. And I think it's, we went through a phase a number of years ago where it was demand generation, right? Facebook ads, transactional by now. And now if you don't have the brand, you can't tell your story, right? You don't have alignment with what your story is, your digital story, what your employees are saying, right? right? You're going to have to right. work twice as hard just to get to where you've got so far. So right, interesting. So, all right. So We'll talk about what you're looking at next steps, but yeah, I'm curious, okay. it's your journey to date, what's surprised you? What were some of the biggest challenges that you came across? You know, I'm just kind of curious. Then we can get into what you're looking at in the future, but. Surprises and challenges, it's every day. Yeah. I, think, I think the biggest surprise is that there's challenges every single day and you have to learn how to not, not just block and tackle, but pick which challenges need to be addressed today because you can't tackle everything and everything has to be strategic and pointed to your North Star. There's a lot of noise all over the place that I could just try to combat, but if it's not taking me to my true North, it's a battle not worth fighting. Yeah, that's what I tell B2B founders all the time. I mean, it's the growth and trajectory is so nuanced, right? Because there is process, you got customers, you've got different buyers at customer, you got stakeholders, the approvers, blah, 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 that is, I mean, I think you've taken the right approach that says, Hey, we're going to cut through the noise. The other one I love is urgent versus important, right? Right. Start with important and work backwards, but that's hard concept for a lot of founders too. And they really struggle with that. It's, it's hard. I feel lucky. I've always been very good at decision-making in, in business, in the business capacity, you know, I've led teams before. I mean, I've been a strategist by nature of my job. It's having to look at the big picture and figure out exactly how to get an organization from point A to point B. So I'm lucky that I have that. 
I think the one thing that I am working on still is having a stomach of steel <laughs> to be able to ride the waves because that is probably one of the biggest surprises. It's you can start off having a great day, like you're rocking sales, you're having great meetings, you're functioning. And then there's something that pops out of nowhere that you have to address that takes your day completely different. But yet you keep your energy up for your team, for your customers, your potential customers, and you just keep going. Yeah, no, it's so true. It's and you know the thing I remind folks, man, you got to enjoy the journey, right? The ups and the downs. It's about the process because okay. if you're just focused on the end outcome, you're going to be disappointed when you get there because it's like you said, this is your baby, this is your life, this is right. what you live and breathe, this is what you're talking about. So right. you've definitely got the the right mentality. All right, before we switch forward, looking, is there anything you would have done differently? Just out of curiosity, and if there was not a ton of, or if there's a ton of them, pick one or two that had I known, I would have done this differently? I probably would have started sooner. I weighed a lot. I I weighed in my mind because I've always, this might be a little too personal, but I've always seen myself as somebody very fiscally responsible, right? Like I've saved money. Like I have tried to avoid debt. Right. And I've always had great jobs and I kept humming and hawing Do I give up everything to work on Campfire Social that I know is so needed, but I'm giving up all the security here? And what does it mean for myself and my family and my situation? And hindsight, I thought too much. I would have started this journey. I mean, not that much sooner. I mean, we're looking at maybe three to six months sooner. But time makes time can make nice. a difference. But again, yeah, yeah, I, I'm I'm with you in that. I'm more fiscally conservative in in some of those senses. Right. And I always had a boss used to say, "Man, these guys spend like drunken sailors." And right. I think that's going to bode well for you in the future because a lot of founders, when they do raise money, history shows they don't have a plan for it. Right? right. Write checks here. I'm going to hire here, but there's not. It's not cohesive towards your north star of what you're trying to accomplish. So. Yeah, maybe it took you a little longer, but I think it'll it'll pay off for you down the road. Yeah, but I have to say it's been liberating. <laughs> I've always I've always been so constrained by okay, I've got to put so much in my four hundred one k and this and this and this, but this is very freeing. Well, that's because you're passionate. Um, this is your, yeah. your calling. Right, right, right. <laughs> awesome. All right, so let's. You're at today. What are you know, what are your, some of the challenges you see coming? What are some of the questions you have today? And, you know, what's next, right? I know you're, you've got some good momentum, but yeah. you know, the, fund's, the fund's just beginning, as they say. <laughs> right, right. So one thing I've learned is the sales cycle in this space is long, in part because, I mean, our platform isn't, I mean, it's it's an investment. It's not something that, you know, decision makers can just make like that. It's got to go up to the C-suite, sometimes to the board of directors and back down to the, to the staff to get full buy-in. We're working on shortening the sales cycle. But for my team and myself, it's all about just continuing to get in front of our potential customers because it's going to take time and continue to refine the messaging make sure it makes sense for what they need so they can clearly see the big picture of our our platform and also to keep developing, to stay ahead of the curve. We are very blue ocean right now and we need to stay that way. It's a real risk. And so we're very focused on the innovation plan. We're focused on our existing product and we're focused on, you know, the future customers. 
Yeah, that's awesome. It, it makes sense. One of the interesting things I've heard from the founders that, like I said, have, have gone through that, that growth journey almost to a person, they said, man, I needed to get out of the day-to-day earlier. And you may not be to that point yet, but if you started thinking about, because this is, it's hard. It's really hard when you've created everything to kind of step out of the way and put some people in more specialized roles. Are you at that point yet? Well, we do. We've got an amazing CIO who has a, a tech background. He was a CIO, a CTO. He was even an interim CEO. I say he's got all the C's covered. And I have full faith and trust, and he's been owning the innovation roadmap. I provide my two cents as that visionary type of where, why it came to be the way it is and where we need to go. But I can hand that off in full confidence. Our customer success director is phenomenal. She's created processes and procedures for onboarding customers and um, working with our lead customer and just figuring out exactly what information needs to be collected, how it needs to be communicated, schedules, different cadence of things, and full faith and trust. I'm lucky. I have a good team where I love to be able to kind of pull myself out of is some of the day-to-day sales, but the reality is as we grow our sales team, which we're hiring right now, sales folks, it's, this is my vision. It's very easy for me to articulate how this all works. And it's, it's a training process. And so at some point I will help and enable the sales process, but until then I am the sales process. Yeah, no. And that's typical, right? Because founder led at some point, especially with longer sales cycle, cycle and bigger ticket items, Right. You're not selling this online. <laughs> right. It'd yes. be nice if you get to that point, but no, that makes that makes right. a lot of sense. And I love, love the fact that you started with customer success as one of your first mm-hmm. key hires. I mean, I just don't understand why more founders. Well, I get I mean, I get it because right, you need the revenue coming in, but man, take care of what you have right. first and the learnings you can get from those early customers and feed that back. So interesting. Right. It's yeah, that feedback, you know, just aids into our innovation roadmap, but also in this industry, there aren't products that have a white glove service attached to it. Many times an organization licenses a product and they're handed it to them and it's good luck. That's not how people are set up for success. So I've been coaching our team in terms of we're not just licensing a product, we're licensing our own thought leadership, our own strategic guidance and advice. And with every contract, our customers get hours with the customer success director, with strategists to help them maximize their investment. So it's really a partnership model that we've put into place. Yeah. And I'm a huge, huge fan of, again, my term is tech enabled service companies, right? Because tech you can copy. I mean, you're developing a great platform. Somebody's going to see that and go, shit, we can do something like that. It's everything else you're doing wrapping around it. It's going to be the differentiator. Right. It's critical. That's awesome. All right. I know I've been taking more of your time today. This is fun. So, but I, no, I do really appreciate it. I think it's super interesting to talk to folks going through the journey, never the same twice, but I am going to ask you the one question that I've asked, you know, every other guest on the podcast is what is one thing that you would highly recommend, Erica? Okay. Get a dog. <laughs> I got and one. <laughs> here's, here's why. And it, okay. If you can't get a dog, go for a walk. You need to get away from your computer for at least a half an hour, ideally an hour midday as a founder every day, no matter how busy you are. 
I have a great day mix and she forces me to take her for a walk every single day. And it helps because you're so stuck in all the success, all the problems, all the challenges. You're dealing with HR, finance, sales, tech, everything that it's hard to get a clear head. Right. And just being forced to get out and away from your computer, even if it's 15 minutes, you oftentimes can come back with a much clearer head. And at least for me, it's miraculous. Like I go for this walk, I come back and I know exactly how to solve problems. And so I tell people, if you're not self-motivated to leave your computer to go walk, go get a dog. Because get a big dog that's going to make you go walk. They're going to they're going to make you do it. Yeah. And it's it's critical for a clear head. Yeah, it's a great idea. I, my advice to folks all the time is get outside. Once a day, get outside right. somewhere. Whatever. Right. If you can get more than thirty minutes, even better. But no, I get the timing sometimes. At anything. Sometimes I'll just go out back and garden for fifteen minutes if I know I can't like really get out for a long period of time. So it's important. Well, once you solve all the challenges with the trade associations and get everybody modernized in this, the next one is, because I do, I'm wealthy, I love like out for walks, runs, whatever, but mm -hmm. trying to take notes or jotting something down when I'm out there is hard. And I know the voice memos are there and maybe I just need to get better at that. But man, you're right though. I, some of my best ideas are when I'm in the middle of the park or outside the middle of nowhere. Right. Right. I send myself text messages or yeah. emails all the time. It's really hard to do that while jogging or holding a 110 pound dog. So I try. Yeah, no, I love it. I think it's great advice. And what I'd like to do is maybe check back in with you another six months to see where your journey's taken you. And we'll just kind of keep this as an ongoing series. We'll follow Erica and, you know, Campfire Social and their, their journey. So I, I appreciate the time and being open and, and candid with the audience today. Yeah. This, this has been a lot of fun, Brett. Thank you. Anything, you know, I can shed any guidance to help other young founders, you know, happy to. I just appreciate your time. Yeah, I think there's a lot of value in this. So th thank you for sharing, Erica. Sure, thank you, <laughs> And what, lastly, before, and I'll add it to the show notes, but what is it, do folks do want to reach out and connect with you? What's the best way for them to, to find you? They can go to our website. It's campfiresocial.io or they can email me at erica.bashaf at campfiresocial.io. Um, okay. We'll make sure we add that to it. And yeah, keep tax on this journey, okay. folks. It's uh, it's exciting. So thank yeah. you, Erica. Have a great rest of your day. Sure. Yeah, you too. Thank you, Brett. Thanks. Thanks.